time of the week again. It's time for the frown room. Time to time to get really sad, you know, because this uh, is the I don't know room. how sad this one's going to be. This one's actually not going to be very sad. I wouldn't describe the band that we're going to talk about today as uh, sad. The only thing that's sad about it is how much they've been ripped off in the last 15 years. Ooh. I don't know. I don't know how sad that is. I mean, a lot of my favorite music has come about as a result of ripping this band off, so... <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, well, we're going to be talking about some today. Uh, oh, my, oh man, oh man, little <laughs> jokes. So yeah, today uh, this episode is going to be called. Um, I already know the title of it. And I'm going to say it here so I remember it later. But it's going to be called "Meshuga Destroyer Race Improve and the Birth of Modern Metal." So we're going to talk about um, instead of doing like a really deep album review for Destroyer Race Improve, which I think is a really important record, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the album, but also talk about sort of how that album and some of their other works around that time kind of spawned this whole, basically, the entirety of modern metal now, essentially. Yeah. Um, not I all of it, but a good portion of it. So right. I think that'll be I would interesting say to talk about. It's interesting because I, I, I feel like I can pinpoint the birth of modern metal to like, I would say three or four albums in the 90s that basically just changed the game forever for everything. Yeah. Wh- which one do you think that would be? I think I know, but I think it'd be cool to, well, to say it. Well, I mean, obviously, we, we're we going to start with De- Destroy Your Race Improve, which, you know, that's uh, obviously kind of kind of the linchpin here. But uh, I would also, of course, say uh, Fear Factory's Demanufacture, of course. Yeah, super uh, important one. Uh, I would say, you know, uh, not a lot of people are going to like this, but Pantera's Cowboys from Hell kind of changed the way metal riffing is sort of done and and like metal songwriting was done um the the whole groove thing really i mean you could you could say it was it wasn't quite as much a thing in metal until pantera really brought that in with uh, that album and of course death symbolic uh those are like the four albums in the 90s that i'd say kind of changed the scene but i think what about the black album Oh yeah, actually, that's that's just the most important album of all time. What are you talking about? <laughs> actually, no. I mean, no joke. I I goof on that album. That album is actually really important, but it's oh, it certainly is. That album is more to me like the result of years of refinement as opposed to like the new a new turn in the in the wind, so to speak. Right. Right. If that makes yeah. any sense. So, I think that was just more representative of what the zeitgeist of the time was than anything. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, so to me, Meshuggah, Meshuggah, Meshuggah are kind of the progenitors of modern metal um, in yeah, many ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and even kind of, they were really way out in front of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Cause it's, it's insane how far ahead this album, uh, Destroy Erase Improve specifically, it's crazy how far ahead that album was. Because I think it took a long time for that to really broadly catch on. Um, right. And um, we'll get into that later, but, you know, this album came out in 1995. It's, like, 25 years old at this point. And right. um, really, it was. it's only been in the last decade, maybe last 15 years generously, that sort of this genty style has really exploded and become so much mm. that it's kind of the dominant force in metal, If you, if, depending on how you look at it. Right. Almost um, every artist is, is trying to capture what Meshuga yeah. captured on... Uh, on this album for the first time, really. And there's a lot of, um, 
there's a lot of other stuff that I think is tangentially sort of related to that. I think there yeah. was a definitely a trend in the 90s, like with Pantera, and even with people aren't going to like this, but even with like a lot of new metal, mo- metal was moving in kind of like a more groove-oriented direction. Um, mm. But without getting in too much into that, we're definitely going to talk about that as we move on through this. Let's talk a little bit about Mashuga, uh, specifically about sort of their early period. Um, so, th- yeah, they've been around since late 80s, early 90s. Um, and um, their first album, uh, Contradictions Collapse, is actually pretty interesting. Um, it mm. doesn't sound a lot like anything that they did Not afterwards. Really. Yeah, it's very different. It's very it different from anything else they'd really done. It's kind of more like, because cause thrash was really like kind of the thing in, at that that time, you know, late 80s, early 90s, right. thrash was really big. And like the more extreme variants of thrash were starting to be gain a lot of traction. Like mm. uh, with some of the heavier bands like Exodus and Creator, you know, kind of gaining a foothold. Yeah. And, you well, know, and, and and death metal was starting it, to really take form as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, bands you had, like Morbid Angel had had started to sort of come about too. Yeah, exactly. You had Morbid Angel. You had Death. You had um, Obituary, Suffocation. All these bands were starting to take metal in a heavier direction. And you know, the first Mashuga album doesn't exactly doesn't exactly like impress upon you the greatness that this band is about to completely unleash but um their second album destroy erase improve is like a complete quantum leap in a new direction and and it's just like right it's 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 a bit of a it's a bit of a mind bender to hear it almost because um it, it sounds it absolutely is is unrecognizable from that first album to start and it's so different than anything else happening at the time and mm, still mm. kind of like different than a lot of things happening today. Cause it, cause, cause it's definitely the f- sort of the first time they really started to that, that album and their EP uh, none, which kind of came out in the same little era here. Right. But um, these, these two projects are kind of the first time that, um, that this sound this sound was heard, you know, this style of mm. this m- mm-hmm. this style of metal playing, you know, because because before there was really only a f- I don't want to like really reduce it, but there weren't there wasn't really anything like this before. Like well, there weren't a lot of different ways to play metal like metal. You kind of had right. you you kind of had your 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 like your thrash and your British variants and your sort of more traditional variants, but they were that all very, very they were very close in like they were yeah. very close compositionally and like. The way that um, you know you would write a metal riff is kind of the same whether you're in Metallica or Iron Maiden or Judas Priest. Like all these bands, kind of played the same way, like e- or even like Black Sabbath. But um, Meshuggah comes along and just completely like, like turns it up all on its head with with Destroy, Erase, Improve. And I mean, really, like if you listen to the very first track on the album, just kind of imagine if you could go back in a time machine and hear that for the first time in the '90s. Like that has to that had to have been like completely mind boggling. Right. Well, and and I would say like uh, this was this was the first time. So we we should really talk about and because we've talked about how mind-boggling it is, but like we need to we need to break down like why why this is so mind-boggling. What they do that's different than others. Um, oh yeah. I, so obviously I think the first thing Go ahead. Uh, like the first thing I'd say, like the first thing that uh, 
like the layman would probably notice any 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 first time listener would probably notice that is very different from most other stuff at the time is the very syncopated riffing style um everything meshiga did uh on this album uh the the first thing you'll notice is that really that really syncopated sound that the guitar playing has which is entirely uh characteristic of of what we consider normal for modern metal music but um at the time was so uh so noteworthy and different from anything else and uh the only the only other band of course that had really even started going towards that territory at the time of as i mentioned before was pantera with cowboys from hell yeah which they had they had some sort of syncopated sounds in their riffing style but but this um this completely took it in a in a new direction and took it to a new level and uh, i think banks you probably want to elaborate on that because you could probably uh quantify that a little more yeah uh, so yeah so basically as i was saying before metal riffs before this were kind of like straight you know four four time the drums right. and the guitar was were really locked. It was kind of like an extension of like the hard rock music of the time. It was right. just you know. I mean, y- you'd you'd hear some six eight in you yeah, know, of course, Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden more than anything else. But you know, but it was mostly four four, yeah. But <laughs> sort of the complexity of um, the complexity like this wasn't really something you heard very often. A few bands were no, starting to no. push metal into more com- complex directions. Like even Iron right. Maiden had some stuff in their sort of mid-80s period that was more complex. But it was really, right. like you said, this sort of syncopation, this sort of like rhythmic elaboration. You know, it's almost like yeah. it's almost yeah. like jazz. Because if you listen to something like, you know, Coltrane oh, Quartet in the 60s, those guys are pushing the beat all over the place. And it's not... right necessarily unlike the way Meshuggah does it. It's just that Meshuggah does it in a more like organized way. Obviously, right. you know, it's the, you know, the, it's it's music bit written around riffs. And um, you know, what often will happen, you know, in in Meshuggah's music, which I think is really cool, is you'll have drums that are kind of locked into like a 4/4 groove or some kind of like even if it is in a weird time signature, like if you have like a riff that's in 5, you'll have a guitar right. riff that's kind of dancing around the beat where the drums are really right. locked in. But one thing I think right. Meshuggah does that's interesting that not a lot of modern bands do is that they'll sometimes they'll break it up and they'll make it even a little bit more complex. Because like a right. lot of a lot of modern bands, it'll just kind of stay. You know, they'll do the four. The drums will do the four four or a six eight thing, and it'll be really like, it'll the drums right. will be really locked, but the guitars will be really weird and syncopated. What I think Meshuggah right. does is interesting is that they they often there's like an extra level of obfuscation to it. Like take the right. song um, right. Inside What's Left Behind. That song. Right. It starts out with a pretty simple, like, eighth note pulse. And, you know, it's right. all locked in. The band's playing the same thing. Right. But then suddenly the the drums start playing, like, a halftime groove against basically, like, syncopated 16th notes in the guitar. And right. the first time I heard this riff, I was just like, that's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. It has this... Uh, um. It has this like dragged quality to it almost that you actually something that's something you kind of almost hear in like modern like some modern hip hop and like modern jazz that uses all these like weird neo soul grooves. There's like an right. element of that to that this particular song, which I think is I mean that's really interesting. That's something you know you would really you could really study if you wanted to. Right, right. Well, yeah, and you, I mean, obviously Meshiga, uh, 
they they take a lot from jazz. I'm I'm a s- I think it's safe to assume. Um, yeah. Well, actually, um, um, what's the, the guitarist uh, whose name I'm blanking on right now? Sorry, guys. Thomas. No, 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 no. Uh, it's Frederick. Uh, Frederick. Fred Frederick yeah. Dordenthal. He he did a solo yeah. album in the late '90s that has um that actually has some like. F- jazz fusion guys on it and it's more of like a jazz fusion record than just a metal yeah. album so and that makes sense you know that's yeah. that's what i'd expect you know these these guys would would have that kind of background so they're bringing all these influences and mixing it with you know that thrash element and destroy erase and prove actually still has a lot of sort of the thrash element you know like mm, a lot of these mm. songs i'm talking about like um inside what's left behind and future breed machine have these really heavy thrash moments too that i think are really really neat and it kind of yeah. it's different than their later work their later work once they kind of get more into the syncopated stuff it kind of stays in that in it, that it meld takes, for a while it take yeah i like when you listen to their later albums like chaos fear um that syncopated sound is is much more sort of definitive of what they do yeah um but and i think i think that's one of the reasons um that to me, this album still sticks out quite a bit more than their later stuff. Um, although, although that's not to say it's totally diminished in the later work. But I, I like, I, I personally just really like the balance this album has of of all those elements, where it's still this really, um, you know, blistering, fun, uh, energetic, fast kind of album, um, while well having all of that stuff and just this perfect balance because i think like like albums like chaos fear for example uh really impressive album but um it it tends to to fall more into just sort of that groove or the the you know the the just really syncopated um crazy rhythm sort of sound uh without without going out of that territory as much uh not to say it's it's not impressive as hell what they're doing on an album like that but i think this one resonates with me just a bit more and and to be fair you know the other albums they did where they there was you know a bit more balance uh between those aspects of their music uh i think i i definitely enjoy that um i i, I think i need to listen to to more of their albums more to be honest because this is this is the one that i've i've really listened to the most you know yeah you know i would say i think i I see what you mean there um but i think it's a matter of like they do definitely take some warming up to like um the album nothing for example took me a few listens to really get into but now i think that one to me if 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 um Destroy, Erase, and Prove is sort of the album where this sound started to emerge. I think Nothing is the album where they really solidified it. Like, by that point, right. it was like, you know, at that point, you know, before that, people might have picked up on it a little bit. People might have copied some of that, uh, some of those elements. But I think, if not for Nothing, if not for Nothing, if not for the album <laughs> Nothing, um, it would have never really become cemented in the same way. Because I think... Once right. you start to get into nothing, it kind of like confirms that this is the this is a new way of playing. It's not just like, it's not just like, oh yeah, we're gonna do cool thing with crazy time signatures. It's like completely new techniques because it's not right. just like, 
It's not just the it's songwriting. It's not just the time signatures. Yeah. It's not just the so- time signatures. It's not even the songwriting. It's the actual like technique of playing the instrument. It's kind of like right. Now right. you have a new picking style, a new way to attack the strings, new tunings, new guitars. I mean, really, like, I yeah. can't. I, I haven't exactly done my research on this, but like, this period is when you first start to see, like, this period in the '90s is the first time you start to see bands using extended range guitars like Meshuggah started using seven strings in the mid nineties. Later they would move to right. eight strings in the two thousands, but Meshuggah started using seven strings in the nineties. Um, I believe fear factory used seven strings in the nineties a little bit. Um, uh, the new, some of the new metal bands were using uh, <laughs> seven strings in the nineties. So mm, this was kind mm. of, it was not just, it wasn't just the music, but it was like, you know, the equipment and the way of playing and the production style. I mean, Destroy, Erase, and Prove was kind of the beginning of a new wave of production. Same with demanufacturing. I mean, it was really a – this was all a a, a, peri- a a real period where, you know, people were really doing things that were legitimately new. And it's kind of right, exciting to right. go back and listen to that music now with that level of hindsight. Right, right, for sure. Um, but, to, but to get back to Meshuggah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think subsequently – subsequently, I think – Maybe after two thousand four, two thousand five, yeah, I think I s- tend to think some of the other bands took over and started making more interesting things. But I think from right. from like ninety five, pretty much from the album from Destroy Race Improved to the album Catch Thirty Three, for me, right. those are just those are that's like a run of four album that that is just incredible. Um, Catch right. Thirty Three is like a it's like a one continuous song and it's like insane because they have all these. Right riffs and they're really put and that was when i think they really started to push not just into the syncopation but into the time signatures you know they started using more right. complex time signatures because right. destroy erase improve has a little bit of that but i think most of destroy right. erase improve is still in standard kind of time signatures but once you start right. to get into these later albums they start doing things and they start doing these really genty things although gent gent wasn't even a word until much later but they start doing all these right. genty things and weird time signatures like they'll do things in mixed meters and like five and seven and it it becomes much more complex and much more kind of abstracted you know it's 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 not you know we're really far afield from you know even something like metallica at this point and it's kind of right kind of crazy yeah uh just to as a as a note for the listeners here uh gent the term originated from uh someone hearing uh, Frederick Thornthal, the guitarist of Meshuga, describing their guitar tone. And he was uh, he was trying to make like a sound that sort of sounded like the guitar tone he was going for. And it sounded like him saying gent, basically, is the is the paraphrased version of the of the story. Yeah, so, I, I think if I remember correctly, people started using that word wasn't. Didn't, wasn't it like the guys that from Periphery that kind of relayed that story, or am I like crazy? Yeah, I could have sworn. I'm, I'm fairly certain it was the guys from Periphery that relayed the story. Yeah, yeah, because I remember those were the kind of the first guys you started to hear use that term, gent. Right. Who actually used the term, but but um, it came from so, like the story goes, it came from someone overhearing Frederick Thornthal yeah. talking to a fan about their guitar tone and saying it has a gent sound. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, you know the Yeah, it's kind of kind of kind of has that kind of works, sound. I guess. Um it's interesting yeah. that that kind of became the name of the genre. Although I don't right. know if it's maybe the name of the genre as much as it is a term for now, 
the style. If there, right. there's like a I, difference there, because I think the genre people would call it like prog, but it's like the style of right. playing, like the technique is genting. I don't know. Right, right, and and that that's kind of what we're we're getting at here with with what Meshuga did for for metal music is is not so much you know invent prog metal, but um, invent completely revolutionize the style of playing. Yeah. Uh, just how and people I, played the guitar and metal music. Yeah, and I don't I, I really don't want this to get lost on people like how radically different that is. Like there was mm. absolutely mm. nothing remotely like this before. Like mm. yeah. even the heaviest yeah. metal still kind right. of was derived from a lot of the same styles of riff writing. But right. but, but by the time you get Mashuga and Fear Factory and some of the other bands Strapping Young Lad coming in, you get like you get these completely new groove oriented ways of playing that are that were unheard right. of before. Right. And um and uh you know for Yeah, I I mentioned Pantera like laying the groundwork for for like more groove oriented styles, but even even with what they did it it was groundwork at best compared to what was going on here with this album. Um Sorry, I was I was just wanted to make that footnote because I did no. mention them as as sort of doing that, but uh, it's it's just not nearly the same degree. Well, I think. Well, no, yeah, but I think that helped engender this new, a new that definitely helped engender like a new sound and new style. Right. I don't know a whole bunch right. about Pantera. I haven't listened to them extensively, but I I, I know what you mean. Right. I've heard them enough to understand that. Um, right. I, I think it's interesting for. This is one thing that Doug and I talk about a lot, but I think for as quickly, I mean, excuse me, for as much of that music as there is now, it took a while to kind of catch on. You know what I mean? Because mm, yeah, yeah, there were there were a handful of bands doing this stuff kind of on the down low throughout their mid two thousands, but I would right. say Periphery is kind of the first band to really make it quote unquote trendy to really st- to really start playing this right. way. They're, and they weren't the only right. ones, but they were definitely. Bands like Periphery and Tesseract and um, oh god, that one band that has the name that s- starts with a V that I can't pronounce. <laughs> oh, Vjalt Jarda or whatever. Yeah. yeah, that band. I don't know how to pronounce that band's name. Those uh, guys were those guys kind of. They were those are the guys the that really people. Yeah, those guys really kind of popularized that style mm-hmm. more broadly, and they mm-hmm. all had their own elements. Like Periphery to me, per- Periphery to me sounds like Meshuggah plus Dream Theater, which is pretty cool. Because they have mm. that, they have the heavy, you know, they have the obviously the gent guitar style, but they also have really right. melodic, kind of like Dream Theater esque things. And then um, Tesseract yeah. is more like Meshuggah with clean vocals, which I think is also right. really interesting. That yeah, that kind of changed the game. Like hearing hearing the really syncopated riffing style, but mixed with like the atmosphere that like clean vocals provide um, is really interesting. Um, yeah. And Tesseract, not only that, but Tesseract have this, this sort of ethereal kind of style. Um, yeah. And and just uh, there's there's a couple other bands that actually do add that where there's something of an atmospheric element to it. Well, um, yeah, I, I would say that that's actually something that I associate a lot with this this style now is having really spacey right. atmospheres. Um, right. Right. And it was kind of um, kind of Tesseract who is one of the bands who kind of led the charge. Um, right. Before we um, sort of get 
too close to present day because I definitely want to talk about the last like 10 years in terms of this stuff because I've heard so right. much great stuff in the last 10 years, so many bands, and I'm just going to rattle off a bunch of band names. But I want to talk about right. the first the first sort of examples of these kind of this style of writing that you could really hear in metal. And there's right. not a, a lot until like 2006 or seven. Right. But um, it's interesting the bands that were using it. One band, right. who's two bands actually that spring to mind first off when I think about sort of like borrowing from Meshuga first mm. are Cybreed and yeah. Mimic, which I are was both about to mention um, Cybreed. Yeah. They're both. Um, I believe they're both. They're both Scandinavian bands, right? Well, Cybreed's from Switzerland. Oh, okay. So that's not Scandinavian. That's not Scandinavia, no. And that's, uh, that's neutral territory. <laughs> and uh, Nemec is from Denmark, right? Is that yeah, Scandinavia? Denmark so. is Scandinavia, right? Yeah, I believe. Yes, yes, they are. Okay, cool. So I was right about that. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So both of those bands have kind of an interesting approach. Both of them, I think, both of them not only are inspired by Meshuga heavily, but also by Fear Factory. So this is see where you see see yeah. those streams start to converge. Like you've got right. the Fear Factory industrial sound industrial style with you know like samples and electronics and all this kind of stuff right. and melodic vocals yeah. mixing with the mashuga down tuned seven string riffs and right. um I, I those two bands are i think i mean i, I think i like nemic more than cybreed but i think both of those bands are incredible to he- mm. and, and incredibly ahead of their time even still yeah. um, well i listen i listen to the album antares by cybreed which was 2006 and they were doing like the the syncopated riffs with like electronic synth atmosphere thing going on top of that was was like it's like a staple of what you what you hear in a lot of like gent genty music and and just prog metal in general nowadays it's such a common thing to hear and these guys were doing it almost you know 10 years before it or, I mean, it was 2006, so what, like four years before it started to really catch on. But, but I mean, it, it's it's crazy just how ahead of its time it, it really feels. And, and, and they were, you know, at the time, you know, when, when I first listened to them, you know, back in the day, they people didn't really think much of them other than, like, industrial metal band from Switzerland. You know, like, they're... We, they're I, they they definitely have their following, but they're they're not a band that uh, gets nearly enough credit uh, for what they than than what they deserve for for what they managed to do and what just what they were doing and how weirdly ahead of its time it was. And you were saying that about Nemec as well. Um, and I would say that goes doubly for Nemec because Nemec was even earlier. Yeah. Nemec was like right. Sp- uh, mechanical spin phenomena. Their first album was like 2003. 2003, yeah. And that album is interesting because yeah. it has almost like a, it it almost has a little bit of that like 2000s like, almost like new metal aesthetic. Not quite. Let's not get carried away. But they definitely one could, like if you saw a picture of the band from them, you might get confused. Be like, is this a new metal band? But like, they there, were definitely. There was go ahead. No, you know you got you got. Well, they were, but they were definitely playing that. Um, they were definitely playing a style that was like ahead of the curb, um, right? When when I when I hear about when I hear about Nemec, you know when I what I generally have always sort of associated them with, and and what I I'd often just sort of heard them talked about as, um, is generally just sort of nestled in the 
like early or like the 2000s European metalcore kind of movement. So you had, there were some other bands, you know, like um, that Nemec generally just sort of got associated with, um, uh, what was it? Deadlock, I believe was the one. Uh, there was uh, Fear My Thoughts, I think. There was, there was a few bands sort of from that scene and most of them kind of followed just like the general trend of what metalcore bands of that era were doing. Uh, but Nemec, I think, got maybe wrongly associated with that scene. Maybe, maybe not. Um, and and I think I think people didn't realize just what they were doing and and how kind of ahead of the curve it was and and how different it, it really was. Not well, to say that I didn't like a lot of those early two thousand metalcore bands, but you know. <laughs> well, my thing with Nemic is I always kind of associate them with um, sort of the European melodic death metal scene. You know, I always thought oh, absolutely, about them. absolutely. Yeah. I always thought about Nemic and Cybreed in the same breath as bands like Scar Symmetry and Disharmonia Mundi and Soilwork right, right. and all that stuff. Like I always kind of thought of these bands as being related, but now when I think about it, Nemic is a little bit more like they got a little bit more crossover for me. I kind of think of about them right. more in like you know relation with like Fear Factory and Mashuga and then right. later Genty right. bands because they were and really. I, I, they were really pushing that th- that thing, but they also had the the clean vocal element too to their right. music, which was pretty pretty new at the time for for a band of that style. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I I think part of this comes down to the the Fear Factory influence, and I I th- we we haven't been talking as much about Fear Factory here uh, yet, but I think that sort of speaks to just how important Fear Factory was to this scene as well. Um, and I, I mentioned earlier in this episode, um, another one of the most important albums, I, I think, of the of the last 30 years uh, would definitely be Fear Factory's Demanufacture uh, for, for quite a few reasons. Um, and uh, it's very different reasons than Meshuga, though. Um, for one, uh, that was one of the... I mean, one of the first times when when like electronic production methods had merged with more extreme metal stylings. So obviously industrial metal had sort of existed before then, you know, um, you had stuff like ministry before then at that point, but the way that fear factory did it, um, with its much heavier style and the very, very, uh, uh, let's say involved process that that uh, their producer, you know, Reese Volber had in, in working on the production on that album, uh, really changed the way metal albums would sound in their production after that, and just how much more, just how much more. Like I think I think about how much more I hear even something as simple as like a pad or a synth in a metal song, not not even tangentially related to Fear Factory. But uh, you you know so much more often you hear something like that in a metal song nowadays after demanufacture by Fear Factory and in you know stuff that that you don't think about that and then and then you know nowadays we also take as you said earlier for granted like the idea of like the trade off between the harsh vocals and clean vocals that that's that's something that we we are so so used to now. We didn't realize just how rare that was when D-Manufacture came out. Absolutely, dude. 
I've been like saying I've been like clapping for Doug. I've been like been like praising praising the roof because he is so right about that. That really to me, the two big things you get from this sort of modern birth of modern metal. And if if I have to say two things I associate with modern metal is syncopated riffs and right. the juxtaposition of harsh and clean vocals because yep. so many bands do that now. Like yeah. Yeah. Now it's where it's they got common standard practice at this point. Now where they got where they got that from exactly I think it's maybe a little bit less definitively clear as far as the whole like clean harsh right. thing. Not because right. of necessarily timing. Because I do think sure. Fear Factory probably has the earliest examples, but right. you also have Opeth was in the nineties kind of doing a lot of this oh, stuff. Oh, sure. Too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think the waters are a little muddier there. But really, yeah. I mean, you know, Soul of a New Machine and Demanufacture are among the first times you hear that way of right performing, and and hear it codified so in such a like concrete way as you do on the on those albums. Yeah, absolutely. So then you get then you get all of the good stuff from the that I like from the two thousands, like all the metalcore, and um, you know there were a lot of bands. I think there were a lot of bands who would borrow a little bit from Meshuggah every now and then. Like even Lamb of God has a couple songs um, that, <coughs> even Lamb of God has a couple songs that kind of use that um, style of playing. Like on the album, so on on Al- as the palaces burn, the song mm. Boot Scraper mm. has right out the gate has like a totally genty riff almost, totally right. Meshuggah. And this was two thousand and three, so once right. again, pretty pretty early in the mix. Um, right, right. So they were doing, they were doing stuff like that kind of early too. And on subsequent albums, I'm sure it's been a long time since I've heard those albums. But I'm sure if I listen to, um, uh, what's the one, Ashes of the Wake, I'm sure if I listen yeah. to that one, I'd be like, up oh, there it is. And yeah, well, and I mean, I, I, you, you talk about that, and like one of the first things I think of is the song uh, "Laid to Rest" off of that album. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it starts out with some really like syncopated riffing, which, uh, which brings me to a great point. Uh, vocalist uh, of of the band, uh, Randy Blythe himself stated in 2011 that there's no such thing as gent. It's not a genre. Okay, Randy. <laughs> All right, Randy. You're just a vocalist. Okay, Randy. Okay, Randy. <laughs> um, <laughs> what a what a silly silly man. What a what a funny guy. And it's funny he said that in 2011 because that was when it was first starting to catch on and. It was definitely more spurious then. I mean, you could definitely, you could probably yeah. get away with saying that then. <laughs> right, right. Um, but not uh, now. Yeah, when I, I mean, I go to, I go to band camp, and most of most of what you see in the metal category falls in that way in some, yeah, in some way or another. You know, that or stoner black metal, but you know, <laughs> I'll talk about that. <laughs> That'll be another one. But yeah, yeah, um so and there were other bands like Dream Theater is another one that sticks out to me as having examples of that style. Like mm. Dance uh, the Dance of Eternity has a section that they literally called in the studio, Mike Portnoy can you can hear him in an interview saying, Yeah, that's the, the Mashuga part of the song. Yeah. So so that <laughs> stuff was starting to catch on. But right. it wasn't I guess this is the difference between kind of people using it as like an homage as to having entire bands that base their entire way of playing around that, right? Right, um, right. Because you know, even like you know, Devin Townsend, you can hear this stuff and some of his stuff from the two thousands. Like if you listen to Alien, the influence right. of Meshuggah is all over Alien. Maybe not oh, super sure. overtly, but like just the fact that he was, you know, that was one of the first albums where he played a seven string, and you know, he was starting to do that right. shit. So it's it, 
you know, that's the sort of thing that started to happen as a result of them. But right. um, and there, and you could say there's a fair bit of of influence. Maybe, you know, there's a there's a little bit of some like uh, kind of syncopated stuff in uh, a Ziltoid even. Yeah, exactly. Um, Definitely. Totally. And of course, he plays a seven string on Ziltoid as well. It has. Yeah. That album has a really down tuned sound. Yeah. What's interesting, Devin Townsend's because he plays in this is we're going to get a little in the weeds here for a second, but because yeah. uh, Devin's Devin Townsend, because he plays an open C on his guitar, which right. is um, C, G, C, uh, G, C, E tuning, basically for those that those are the right. six strings. His seven right. string, in order to keep the open C, C tuning or open B, which is a half step down, he right. will use. So in open C, his seven string will be a low G. Right. Which is really low. I mean, usually I mean. A lot of people starting out, you know, you play the seventh string, you know, and you might just leave it in standard. You know, that low B string might be low enough for you. Or you might go to drop A, which means you just take the B string and you tune it down to A. So you have A, right. E, A, D, G, B, E, basically. So you have like the, the, the standard tuning, but, you know, down a step into A. Um, but right. that, I mean, once you start going into G, that's getting pretty low. That's getting into gent territory. Um, right. Although right. Meshuga, I believe when they started, when they used seven strings, they used uh, B, they they used basically B flat standard. They tuned the whole guitar ha- down a half step. Right. Um, but then when they used an eight string, which it goes even lower, they right. they st- they I think they still use like a half step down tuning basically. So instead of, you know, having the low string be an F, it would be an F sharp, and then you go up in the same pattern, you know, right as you would a normal guitar. Um, right. So so yeah, that's why. Ziltoid sounds so low whenever he goes down to that seven strings because that G is really freaking low. I mean, that's like, yeah, yeah, that's just really getting down there. Um, yeah. But then you know, the, we get to we get to the end of the late two thousands, and that kind of when this that's kind of when this thing starts to blow way open. Right. Like, right. Um, that's when you know the whole gent syncopated riff thing goes from being more of like something people did occasionally as an homage to bands right. basically just make an entire career out out of playing Make the an entire songs. genre. Yeah. Yeah, really. Um and Well that's yeah. To me, I think there's there's a few elements at play here. It's not just the the, the influence of Meshuga kind of coming into vogue, but there's right. also the element of of, of metalcore and deathcore and that style. Right. Because well, so in, in the late two thousands, early twenty tens, metalcore and deathcore music had just gone through the height of its popularity. Yeah. So it was starting it was to it was kind of starting to reach th- reach its uh, downturn so to speak. Right. Right. And 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 the metalcore and deathcore genre you heard in in the 2000s was was much more influenced by bands like uh Soil Work. Obviously Fear Factory was an element of that. Uh I think I think we can probably say Fear Factory was uh, yeah. was a big influence on those bands. Especially the um, shit like Chimera, yeah, totally. Right, right, right. Uh, and then, and then, of course, uh, there's bands. Uh, a lot of them were influenced by uh, stuff like In Flames and and uh, you know a lot of early Gothenburg melodic death metal as well. Yeah, uh, you know, bands that spring to mind when when you talk about this stuff are like Chimera and Shadows Fall and As right. I Lay Dying and um, right. You right. Know, all these bands have like a more it's more like metallica more like iron yeah. maiden more like in flames right. it's more in that lineage yeah. you might have sprinklings Thrashy. of fear you might have sprinklings of fear factory right. i think the i think the deathcore guys were a little bit closer to the mashuga thing 
Oh, sure. Absolutely. Not exactly, but like even like yeah. Whitechapel was starting to use some of that stuff kind of early in there. Right. Career. Well, I mean, what is what is a what is a deathcore breakdown if not syncopation? You know. Yeah, exactly. Like, but really slow. <laughs> really slow syncopation. Yeah, I mean, it's you absolutely can hear the influence on that. And um, and this is where this is where old little old Banks comes into picture because I ate that music up in 2011, 2010, mm-hmm. 2012. Man. I right. loved those bands. I loved Whitechapel. I loved Oceano. I loved all those stupid deathcore bands. I loved As I Lay right. Dying, Shadows Fall. And um, I had a friend um, who is still kind of a friend now, a friend from Canada, show me some more proggy stuff. And I think he was kind of uh, he was kind of ahead of the curve of everybody else because he was one of the first cats I ever really knew who was listening to a lot of this stuff. Mm. And um, he showed me bands more underground bands like uh, Periphery. Perif- I mean, well this was when Periphery was kind of underground. You know, they weren't really... Or like... Um, I'm trying to think of these, some of the other stuff he showed me. Um, there, there's some bands that are kind of obscure now. Like, there was this one metalcore band called Your Memorial who I hadn't listened to in a long time until earlier this year, but I checked them out again. Their album Atonement from 2010 has right. a little bit of that. They have a little bit of that stuff in their style too. It's like kind of on the bridge between the old metalcore and the new metalcore. Because really, right. if you think about it, the distinction of metalcore is still kind of around. Like there's some bands that I would say still fit into that progressive metalcore mold, but they definitely play a lot of genty stuff. And that's like a band oh, like sure. Era, uh, E R R A, pops into my head immediately yep. thinking about that stuff. And um, Atonement by Your Memorial is kind of in there too. Same with um, After the Burial. After yeah, the burial yeah. is totally in that vein. Um. <laughs> it's funny. I was I I was listening to one of their songs. I I just had it up on YouTube the other day. Uh, it's their song "Encased in Ice," and the top comment on that song, on that video, is "Oh man, it's Meshiga mixed with Pantera." <laughs> top comment. I, uh, How long ago was that? Uh, I believe it it was like eight years ago. One Interesting. Sec. Doug's looking this up right now. Yeah. Uh, so, Encased in Ice by After the Burial. So, the 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 video, uh, this track was posted in uh, 2011. So, quite some time ago. And so, this, this comment, I was right. It was eight years ago when this was posted. Um, wow. So, that was a... When that comment was posted, it, that was, like, kind of right at the beginning of the movement, really. Yeah. And so, that's... I, it's really funny to me that uh, uh, thinking about how that comment has aged and and sort of how how the scene looks and and how a lot of metal sounds and and how much it, it's kind of informed by those features for sure. Yeah, I mean it was interesting. It was interesting to be around back then, uh, even though I was kind of young to kind of see where the see this stuff kind of coming out. Because I remember when the second Periphery album came out and people were. Because they had already put out one album, which had been pretty popular. I mean, that that first Periphery yeah. album was really popular among like a lot of prog circles. Like right. this well, was and, back in my Dream Theater forum days, and I remember people were talking about right. Periphery, and it had only been the first Periphery album, and then the second Periphery album comes out, and it kind of like really solidifies that thing as like the new thing. Right. And then you have other bands like Animals as Leaders, who are more instrumental. Right, like a more they're an instrumental band, but they're equally, I think, as important to the development oh. of this style. Absolutely, and I, I was going to mention um, Periphery kind of started, uh, you know, just with Misha Mansoor 
just kind of making instrumental demos anyways. Like, a lot of that started with him. Uh, you know, a lot of the earliest periphery demos, I want to say I heard... Probably I heard him in 2010. I, I'm fairly certain that's when I heard him, 2010, 2011. Well, yeah, now that you mention that, I can I can kind of remember, like, vaguely, like, th- knowing knowing of recordings they had that were earlier, so... Yeah. I mean, this is one of those things where it's not like super definitive where you can say, oh, yeah, this is the exact date where this started. Because with all things, it's a little more complicated than that. I mean, after after the Burial's first album was like 2007, 2008, like it was really early. And, um, you know, the the winds were definitely turning in this direction. I mean, you can even listen to As I Lay Dying's album, uh, Ocean Between Us, and their album, um, oh, fuck, what's the one after that? As the not as the palaces burn as powerless rise something like that whatever their album after that one was and you can kind of hear the inklings of this stuff but right uh, you know pretty much once periphery once periphery hit the scene it was over like it was like okay yeah this is the this is going to be the thing from now on man right and boy has it ever so many of my favorite releases from pretty much the last decade fall into this category like um febris by uneven structure just one of the yeah. most incredible albums I've ever heard in my life is like just an incredible Genth album, incredibly atmospheric. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say the one. The, that's another one of those ones where the atmospheric elements is really what what sets that album apart. I think I know which one you're gonna say next. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, une- uneven structure. Um, the uh, wow, uh, totally escaped me there what I was g- about to mention. But oh, you mean Altered State? Altered State by Tesseract. That's right. Oh, yeah. yeah. That one's like the king of like... That's that one's everyone's favorite album. I have... Yeah. I have Keystone guys... Keystone of that. I have friends who are like hip-hop producers, like SoundCloud guys, who who post on Twitter about how cool Altered State by... Per- <laughs> I mean by Tesseract Tesseract is. is. Yeah, that was one. So te- Altered State by Tesseract, uh, that's, that's one of the first ones where it's entirely clean vocals um and with that style and there's something about the juxtaposition between those clean vocals and that that really rhythmic uh very very uh syncopated guitar style that that gives it such a i mean there's that spacey feeling to it obviously like and that's something they're going for but like there's 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 that uh, there's that song Nocturne on that album where like the main riff is just this really low like kind of thing and it man the way it goes from that to these soaring melodies is just it's 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 a pretty majestic sound pretty yeah. majestic thing to behold a couple uh, a couple bands that I think really do that well that are a little bit more recent is um, from 2019. Che- you, our listeners out there should check out the album Valis Ablaze. Uh, <laughs> the the band is Valis Ablaze. Check mm. out their album Render. That album mm. is you know 100% clean vocal, genty style, and that's some mm. of my favorite stuff. Vocalist on that has a great voice. Obviously, Sky Harbor, um, yep. Guiding yep. Lights, and uh, Sun yeah. Sunshine Dust are incredible albums. Yeah, they're great. Um, great. It's funny because Sky Harbor, they they don't. When I I remember seeing some some post or something from them saying like they don't like associating with like gent as a genre, 
That's interesting. But, uh, which is weird. But I, I, I think they well, prefer just the regular prog metal umbrella. But I mean, all of this really falls under like the prog metal umbrella. But it's, oh. it's, 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 it's weird to me because like it's if it's such a commonplace thing now, is that really prog anymore? Or I don't know. Like, um, where do you like it's well, just yeah, such I a regular part of the metal zeitgeist? Yeah, I don't know. I think. Yeah, I think at this point it's kind of interesting. I feel like the w- I feel like to me the way I've been thinking about it lately and trying to approach discussing for this this episode, I feel like there's you have the genty you have the you have like two there's like two camps almost now, really. Right. In metal to me, it's just like you have the genty stuff and you almost have everything else. Like right. everything right. else as good as some a lot of the other stuff is. And there's p- tons of music I still love. Like we just ta- did an episode about Enslaved, their new record. Right. Their new and record has, has nothing to do with has this. none of this stuff on it. Right, it's right. still prog, but it has right. nothing to do with gent. Has nothing to do right. with Meshuga. Couldn't sound right. any more different. Right, but you know, you really have. It's really you know people who do the genty stuff and people who don't. I mean, really, if you want right. to bra- if you really want to break it down like like that broadly, because I mean, right. then you have you know, you still have your black metal stuff. You got your your. There's a lot of, I guess, like revivalism stuff still going on. You like, you still have yeah. people who play old school well, thrash and death metal styles. You have your doom metal, your funeral doom bands, but none of that stoner has stuff. Yeah, but all of that stuff still sounds like it's coming from Black Sabbath and Iron well, Maiden, especially the stoner stuff. You know, it's basically <laughs> all just yeah, Black and like the doom and like the doom stuff. It's all you know yeah. Black Sabbath, right? But it's like, but then you have like the rest of the the gent stuff, the rest of the metal stuff, what I what I pretty much think of as modern metal, not that this other stuff isn't modern, but it's like right. it's the most pushing edge stuff right now. And I mean, as much as people right. think it's a trend, I mean it's really it's Well it's I think it, if it's gone past ten years it's more than a trend. I, I think <laughs> I think I and I'm gonna say this right now. So for those of you who I don't know if I've made this clear throughout the show, but I'm basically I you know, I'm in I'm in graduate school for jazz. I'm a basically a jazz scholar of to some of some you know, degree. I do a lot of research at school. He knows what he's talking about, people. <laughs> so, so, w- without getting too deep into it, in in jazz, a similar thing happened at one point. In the 1940s, basically, you had a bunch of musicians who came along and took jazz kind of from, like, the rinky-dinky sounding, like, ragtimey, um, swing big band stuff that you associate with, like, you know, everybody, I think everybody probably knows what, like, Glenn Miller Orchestra sounds like. If you don't, go look it up, and you'll be like, oh, this is what cheesy old jazz sounds like. And then you right. had the guys in the 1940s came along, and then that's when mar- modern jazz. You got Charlie Parker and, th- and Dizzy Gillespie, and this leads to Miles Davis and John Coltrane. To mm. me, Meshuga is the ex- is the equivalent of 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 be- of this this ch- style of jazz bebop jazz completely changing right. the game in the jazz world. Meshuga right. is the exact equivalent of that in the in the um, metal world, and basically Absolutely. we're watching it we're watching it still unfold in front of our eyes. And there are bands still doing pretty cool stuff with it. I mean, obviously there's definitely a a sound that people have kind of fallen into. But right. there's still bands that I hear you know all the time who are doing cool stuff, even if it even if it's still kind of you know. Even if it's still maybe a little bit derivative, but now it's right. like you, you know, you can write. There's a template now, and people can use right. that. Right. Um, I I think I I want to add a little footnote to your thing about about jazz, uh, which I think is kind of interesting. But uh, 
one of the one of the things that also happened in like the 1940s 1950s was was jazz music uh was replaced by rock music in the sort of popular music kind of cultural zeitgeist you know rock and roll became the main thing in the 50s right and that sort of supplanted jazz music so it it, it was considered like in popular culture to be sort of the death of of jazz and in, in popular music and, and a similar thing sort of happened you could say with metal in the 90s where people said you know me, the the metal genre was killed by grunge in the 90s or whatever or metal music went more underground in the 90s uh, which i suppose is more apt i think it 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 grew out of being pop music in the 90s if you ask me <laughs> and it it sort of allowed itself to be more of a a diverse and interesting genre i think more than anything. yeah i think um you know i think the 90s is really when m metal kind of got heady i mean you know now yeah, yeah now yeah, it's for sure. pretty now i mean there's almost an association among musicians of like Oh yeah, you know, I know this guy who plays metal. He's crazy, you know. He plays like, and he's and he's, you know, you're thinking of somebody who's like, you know, high level technical skill. You know, it's very, right. you know, it's not just like, you know. I think that's one of the one of the things people associate with the genre now is yeah. technical virtuosity. Yeah, uh, which I think there was always a little bit of a degree degree of that maybe in the past, but except it's a with bit Lars Ulrich. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even hesitate to cut that man down like that <laughs> no, no okay all right all right all right no he was even, the in, he's the inventor of modern prog metal you know there's that there's that a master of puppets in the main riff there's that there's that half step at the end of the chorus that that they actually they actually don't do a four four riff or four four it's not in four four because of that that little half step because of lars ulrich because uh I don't know. He took a little longer to hit the snare. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so um, <laughs> just gonna—I was just gonna kind of let you uh, let you uh, try to g grasp uh, at, for the life raft there before I yeah pushed no, you done. down. <laughs> um, so not, now I'm not gonna try to say I'm not gonna sit here and defend Lars Ulrich. But um, but yeah, it's very interesting, and I, I'm, I'm kind of like wondering like where this is going to go because i feel like because because i mean metal is a very big genre well nowadays especially yeah it is a very big umbrella but mm -hmm. at the same time i feel like it's kind of weird to see how there's you know one side of metal is like completely like pushing the boundaries rhythmically and like another side is a little bit more like even if stuff might be new and innovative which there's plenty of stuff that doesn't right. have gen that's still new and innovative Right. Um, it's interesting to see that divide, though, because I'm thinking about because yeah. I think it's like it's like because, you know, like I said, we talked about Enslaved. We talked about Insomnium. We talked about stuff like that. Right. And that right. stuff is is it's completely on a different. It's almost like a completely different style of music altogether. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like um, the difference between, you know, a, someone like Duke Ellington in the jazz world, someone like Duke Ellington and someone like, um, Ornette Coleman. I mean, it's like so fucking right. crazy. It's like, um, it's, yeah. but it's pretty cool to be around for. And it's pretty cool to have been aware of this stuff 
a long time ago, you know, when it was kind of newer. Because, you know, now right. you see bands all the time, you know. it's. I mean, it, I mean, even then it seemed like it was crazy with how many bands there were. And now it's even right. way more out of hand. Like, you really can't even can't even look at the metal tag on Bandcamp or something without finding two or three gem bands really quickly. Right, right. And just finding so much stuff that that uh that sounds so different. Um just like uh, metal is is become so so uh fractured with so many different subgenres now. Like there's 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 it's such such a wide array of stuff that you're really going to find. It was it was also kind of funny like even even beyond uh you know just uh just in 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 like metal circles. I I suppose I suppose this is still in a metal circle, but like I was I was listening I was listening to like the soundtracks of some video games I was playing. Um like uh there was a game called Risk of Rain that I played that the soundtrack had had like influence from from that sort of sound there was there was a bit of it, it sounded more like uh like the modern instrumental prog kind of sound it's the same with same with a few other games i was playing another game recently well i mean even if even if you look at the soundtrack for the new doom games like oh absolutely doom, doom that was yeah. that was exactly what i wanted to to mention uh is doom 2016 like People talk about how great the soundtrack for that game is, but what is that if not just a big love letter to the work of Meshuga? You know? Yeah, really. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, mean, that's people, just crazy. What What is more gen? Like, what What is more emblematic of 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 where metal is in in our current era than the sound you got from from that soundtrack, which by the way, is one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic, video game soundtrack of of our era right now. You know, you see, yeah, tons and tons of memes featuring the soundtrack from that game. But yeah, you know, I mean that one. I mean, it's crazy. Like that kind of took that kind of took a lot of the stuff really into the mainstream in a in a right. unique way. Right, and now I, you know, I I've heard just some when I hear like metal music and video game soundtracks nowadays uh it all follows that kind of sound so uh to randy blythe uh i think it's more than a fad at this point i think if you uh i mean if you think about it really like you know um you know mick gordon doing the uh doom soundtrack it's almost like it's almost like stanley kubrick getting a guy like uh uh, Ligeti to do the soundtrack to The Shining, you know, <laughs> right, like, right, or using that music. I don't know if he. It wasn't like he commissioned him for the soundtrack to The Shining. He just used that music, but like, right, like bringing. It's like you know, bringing this genty, proggy style of metal into the public consciousness with, through a video game. It's like, right, yeah, bringing 20th century classical music, you know, super experimental, complex music into the, into the f- sort of the zeitgeist with you know a horror movie. It's 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 right, right, kind of you know a very similar thing and. Yeah, I, I I just wonder where it's gonna go. I mean, I wonder if there's gonna be something like the next the next iteration of of like new sounding metal. I feel like we're almost a little overdue for it. Um, yeah, I, well, and and I I personally kind of wonder where where the genre can go. Like, what is new in music now in general? You know, um, 
and it's it's going to take a lot of uh, like grabbing and putting things in from outside sources. I think you know, as as any kind of cultural evolution goes, you know, it's all about taking outside sources and sort of mixing them with your sort of established thing. Um, you know, like that's uh, that's how you get that's how you get culture is yeah is these you know these ideas mixing and building. So um, yeah, I think I, I remember a few years ago I saw an article. I should try to find this again. Um, I mean, what is what is Meshiga if not like jazz music with metal? You know, like that's, yeah. that was just two cultures mixing there. Yeah. Oh God, I need to fi- I need to find this. There was an article I found a few years ago, like 2015. Um, yeah. It was talking about the band um, Fallujah, right? And they were oh, yeah, yeah, at the yeah. time, and yeah. saying that oh yeah, this band is probably going to be like emblematic of what like the next sound is going to be. <laughs> like I think it was like a review of the Flesh Prevails or something. Yeah, I um, mean, there's been some bands that have definitely uh, built on that style and and have made a pretty big mark in the scene. I would say uh, Rivers of Nihils, uh, Where Owls Know My Name. That I mean, that's a that's a pretty big album now. I mean, it's a that's that's a pretty well pretty well loved album in in the metal scene. But it it you can definitely hear some similarities in sound um, in that album and uh, Fallujah's Flesh Prevails, but. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that. I don't know if that particular style is like as capable no. of catching on as broadly. It's, it's like the atmospheric, melodic, technical death metal kind of thing. Because I think what yeah. that guy in that article might have missed. I'll have to find the article. Maybe I'm just m- missing this, but I think what that guy would have missed is that the the appeal of Gent isn't just the atmosphericness. It's the it's no. the fact that it's a completely different way to play metal music than just like right. You know, right. playing it was reinventing the wheel. Yeah, it's literally like a, it's like I've said a different style of music, you know. Right, right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I uh, and I'm not sure how something like that will happen um, nowadays. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, I c- you could always argue. Uh, well, look at look at modern technology. Uh, you know, look at look at. Uh, Look at how technology is is going to change things, because you know how how did rock start? You know how did rock change, if not for the introduction of like the electric guitar, for example? Um, yeah. And I, I, I one of the one of the bands I I can think of that actually comes to mind is a, a band called Master Boot Record. They're a, I believe an Italian group, um, but they. They do uh, like all their all their guitar is. I'm not sure if it's necessarily a synth itself, but it's it's put through a lot of like synth modulation to sound like it's some weird synthesizer thing, um, and it's it's got a really interesting sound. But of course, that band also uh, very clearly takes a bit of influence from. I think in some songs they certainly take some influence from Meshiga, but they they take a lot of influence from like video game music. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing because it's like synth wave, uh, metal. 
Uh, there's some stuff where it's like, oh, they listened to the Doom 2016 soundtrack and they thought that was cool sounding, which yeah, if they're influenced by that, they're influenced by Meshuga because that soundtrack was definitely influenced by Meshuga. I think if I had to like, if I had to hedge a, hedge a bet on what the future of metal sounded like, I think maybe not the same, maybe not developments in the same type of way as you know, Meshuga completely changing the rhythmic um, layout right. of the music. I think it's going to be more like stuff like, you know, you heard with E by Enslaved or... Um, right, right. Well, and what Thank is You Scientist, where you have metal music that kind of really blends in elements from other styles. Right, right. Yeah, well, and I, I mentioned I mentioned uh, Where Owls Know My Name by Rivers of Nihil. Um, Where do they know your name, bro? Why don't they? I don't know. Dude, he never tells us. Does he ever tell us? No. Um, But that that (laughs) album, I mean, one of the things that stood out about that album is there was like a saxophonist on it, you know? Yeah. And same with like Neabla Viscaris, their music. They have like a violinist on their their stuff. So those those albums are pretty noteworthy. Yeah. I used to think that the, the Opeth style was kind of like more in like, the line of what I thought the future of metal was going to sound like, but I think I might have been wrong about that. Not to say there aren't a lot of bands that do that, but it's not as certainly some bands that do it, you know, but it's it's not as prevailing. No, it's, I don't think so. I I think, I think the big thing is, is we're going to see more. It's, I think as with anything, it's going to be more uh, combining of outside influences with, with what we know and uh, sort of building on that. And that's going to be the most interesting stuff. Yeah, um, basically, you know, if the last 15 years was like the bop era of jazz, I mean, of if it was if it was the equivalent of the bop era of jazz to to metal, the next period I think is going to be like the jazz fusion period, where you know it's like metal oh, mixed go. with other shit. You know, it's like, yeah, I mean, all of these things have a nat- kind of a natural arc to them. I mean, you know, look at any style of music. Go all right. the way back to my buddy Guillaume Michaud. I mean, geez. Yeah. You know, you listen to the way that music sounded, and you know, th- it was a little bit more long. It was a little took a little longer back then because you know, sh- just shit moved more slowly back then. But right. You know, a hundred years later, the music was much more complex, much more efficient, much cr- much much crazier, much more adventurous. Um, right. You know, that's just kind of how things go. You know, things kind of they get adventurous, they get crazy. You know, they get experimental, and then. Then they start. Then people start to notice, and people outside of that stuff start to notice. Like, um, you know, I wouldn't ex- necessarily consider myself a metal musician, but um, the music I'm writing now is very metal influenced. Um, you know, it's basically you know hard rock, prog rock, but it's got it's. I mean, I've been writing a lot of stuff lately in the last few weeks that has a very like Meshuggah le- lean to it. So mm. I mean, hey, but except my difference is I have sax cool saxophone shit on it. So. Yeah, that's so gonna be the next step. <laughs> so, so, so everybody, everybody needs to step to my step to my game, dude. Yeah, well, you gotta release some. You gotta release it first. Oh, it's coming out soon, um, November thirteenth on um, Spotify. Uh, I should see if I can put up a link to pre-save it in our in our um, description for the episode. But uh, November thirteenth, um, check out the song "Come Along," where the world is cr- quiet. Or just simply come along by uh, Ocean Skies, my new project. It's kind of just a solo project now, but uh, it'll be uh, it'll be a future thing. It'll be a band in the future, hopefully. So that's me. 
And uh, oh, I think that wraps it up nicely <laughs> since we're we're on uh, we're on the uh, self promotion. We might as well. Uh, yeah, we're kind of just get the doing the plugs now. I don't way. think. I mean, I don't think yeah. I have anything more to say about modern metal. I yeah. think. Um, Short of doing an even deeper dive, which I think would be cool to do at some point, um, yeah. we uh, I think we really gave it a good primer. Um, yeah. Hopefully, we yeah. didn't get anything r- super wrong, but um, yeah, it'd be cool to have like somebody on who really knows about this shit to help us talk about this because I think that'd be pretty <laughs> cool. Like, if we could, yeah. uh, maybe I don't think we could get any of the guys in periphery, but maybe we can like find, maybe like somebody, a band like three or four tiers removed <laughs> from periphery that on the show. Well, we'll uh, get out of my way to contact some people and, and uh, we'll see what we can do about that. Uh, for now, I think that's it. Um, where can people find you, Banks? Well, I just gave you the spiel about Ocean Skies. Uh, yeah. My, um, you know, uh, we all of our links are in the description for the episode um, on uh, Anchor. I don't know if they're on yeah. Spotify. They should be on yeah. Spotify. But yeah, for yeah. me, uh, Banks P. Daniels on on uh, Instagram, Banks P. Daniels on Twitter, uh, BanksDaniels.bandcamp.com. Um, uh, sound. I have a SoundCloud for Ocean Skies. Uh, that'll be in the description. Um, yeah, and Doug. Uh, you can find me at Dougal vs. Draws uh, on Instagram. Uh, but you can also uh, find us at Frown Room Podcast uh, on Facebook and uh, Frown Room Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, one of these days, I'll, I'll figure out how to use Twitter. If you have yeah, any questions, uh, uh, suggestions, yeah. if you want to tell us how bad we suck, if you want to tell us how much we got that thing wrong that you were really hoping to hear us say, um, send us an email and uh, we, it will promptly be deleted or read in a very, um, a very ridiculing way. Yeah, very ridiculing fashion on an episode. But yeah, um, yeah. See you guys next week. Hope you're enjoying the show. Stay frowning.